0: And good evening, everyone. First of all, welcome Facebook users. Welcome Zoom users. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. This is Cellar Angels Sip Tasting 21. 21 consecutive Fridays in a row, we have invaded your living rooms with exceptional wine, wonderful people, uh, proving that just because we have to physically distance doesn't mean we have to socially distance. And tonight is no exception. We are coming to you live from a little heavenly hamlet right outside of Napa uh, that has been graciously allowed by our next guest for uh, week 21, Sue McNerney of Leishan Le Sioux Winery. And the unfortunate thing, Sue, is you will learn that there are no edits like when we did the video several years ago. It's all live. But uh, we're kind of excited about this because this has been a longtime favorite of all of the Cellar Angels and certainly all of our fans around the country uh, because of the way you craft the wines, because of the special uniqueness of the Tawar in Coombsville, which is right behind me, your vineyard. And uh, let's get right into it. For those folks that are interested in learning how Cellar Angels does this, Cellar Angels is a direct-to-consumer online wine company in our 10th year of operation. And we feature small, limited production, often micro boutique wineries exclusively from Napa and Sonoma. So uh, these are wines that you will seldom have the opportunity to acquire unless you are in the Valley or on the winery's private mailing list. Uh, But we make them available through Seller Angels because, as always, a portion of every single transaction goes to a charity you select. So with us tonight for week 21 is the one, the only Sue McNerney from Lace Chance Sue. Sue, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hey Martin, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. It's
0: it's been, a long time. It's been too long. And it's, I'm gonna take a sip. For for anybody that is curious, Sue and I have been testing the technology all afternoon, and this is our fourth glass of wine. <laughs> Uh, I I don't actually remember how you and I first met but I don't know if you were referred to us or if you filled out something on the website that said I'm interested but immediately after meeting and researching we were captivated and we were captivated by the fact that you are not a large producer. I mean everything comes off for the most part for the first seven or eight years from this vineyard behind me which is an acre of Cabernet and, and for those folks that don't know a little bit about the story, go ahead and, and, and give us a little bit of an overview about how you got into this crazy business and, and why you're still so passionate about it.
1: Yeah, Crazy, for sure. Um, my husband and I bought this property a little under two acres in 1999. We had a management company put in um, an acre of Cabernet grapes we knew that Coombsville Uh, was known for Cabernet because of the little microclimates. So we went ahead and we had um, a vineyard put in between 1,800 and 1,900 grapes. So closely planted rows, closely planted vines to maximize what we could get off of that one acre. Um, We did it with the intent of selling the fruit. We never planned on making wine as much as we loved to drink it. <laughs> uh, we had three young girls and we thought, oh, you know what, we're, we're not getting a horse. We're not doing, you know, planting walnut trees or anything. Let's put in, you know, this vineyard to enhance the home. So we did. And first year into it, uh, 2005, Third Leaf, They uh, it was referred to. Uh, There was a glut in the market. We had only a ton and a half. It was our first, first crop. So very low yield that first year. Um, So I was trying to sell the grapes and there was a glut in the market. Nobody would take them.
0: Is that now? I have to go back in in years, A, because I'm getting old and B, some of these things escape me. But five was a huge vintage, if I recall correctly. There was a ton of wine.
1: There was. the, the, the uh, normal yield off of this acre is about four ton, which uh, yields about 200 cases. But in 2013 and 14, I got over five ton, wow. which was, you're not prepared for that. You're not prepared for that extra two barrels, that you know, extra 100 cases. Um, but anyway, that was the start of, of our wine experience, and so we went ahead and made wine, because we had nothing else to do with the fruit, um, and we weren't going to drop
0: it. So, so did, yeah. now, now, how old were the girls?
1: The uh, youngest was, um, Jen was almost nine.
0: Oh, so yeah. they were plenty. They were plenty old to work in the in the field. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Jen wanted a horse, and we said no way. Yeah, I think in hindsight we should have got the horse, but, <laughs> 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 but don't tell Jen that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so we ended up making wine. Never intended. I guess you could call us the accidental vintners because that was never intent when we planted
0: but well a couple a couple things i think it's interesting that you acquired land in coombsville uh, because coombsville obviously wasn't an ava in 1999 so hats off to having the clairvoyancy to go ahead and look into a crystal ball and and know what a special place that is and before i go any further uh welcome brian Marcella, Caitlin greasy uh jeff and jane greasy by the way jeff and jane greasy haven't missed a single sip this is 21 for them uh, Jim Brubaker from Colorado, Kim Vance is on. Kim Vance, who, uh, when we started this three months ago, or five months ago, she screamed she wanted to be on this show. and We finally got her in next week. So Kim Vance, a winemaker as well. Uh, Nelson Holden, Scotland Kiefer from Chicago. Welcome very much, everyone. Uh, we're here tonight with Sue McNerdy from Le Chansu, and she is telling us a little bit about how she decided to buy a vineyard in 1999. Two acres of land. Uh, One of them planted to grapes. Uh, Three daughters wanted to make wine, didn't want to sell wine. And Sue, pick us up in 2005, when all of a sudden, you've got a lot of wine on your hands, and you realized we may have to start bottling.
1: Exactly. It was that or drop the fruit, and that wasn't an option. So we started taking classes. And um, I worked uh, tirelessly with one vineyard manager um, and um, he and I, we would did all the work. I mean, except for harvest. He and I would be out there every week. Um, people don't realize how much work it is. <laughs> um, when it's only one acre, you feel like it's doable. You, you don't need a crew. Um, so uh, Manuel and I, we would go out there throughout the season, starting in February, March, pruning, tying down, taking off twins, um, you name it. There was, it's, it's ongoing work. So I would do it with Manuel. And then when we needed something major, we would have a small crew come in. But it was a lot of work in between being a mom and, and a part-time photographer. So um, ah. yeah, I i hadn't signed up for a midlife second career, third career, but <laughs> It kind of fell in
0: my lap, but. um. Well, that's, and just to give people a little bit of uh, flavor, I mean, this is a neighborhood where Sue's house is. And this is one of those typical front yard, if you will, uh, vineyard spots. Uh, It happens to be in Coombsville, which as most of the seller Angels folks know, was a very recent addition to recognized AVAs. I believe in 2011. I can't believe it's already been nine years, Uh, but it was a somewhat, under the radar secret source for Cabernet for a lot of the big boys up Valley that were sourcing their fruit here. This is actually Sue's house back here, tucked in uh, behind the tree. This is our film cruise van, which we probably should have got out of the shop. Um, but that's, uh, it's a special little place. And I think what's neat about it is, it, it's one of those areas that you just can't advertise for tastings. You aren't open to the public, it's your home. So how do people, Get the opportunity outside of cellar angels to to go ahead and sit down with you and, and taste your wine.
1: Well uh, there's a couple of ways we, uh, you know we're we're still battling trying to uh, help small farms like myself be able to do tastings um, unless you were grandfathered in decades ago uh, there's this winery. Up the road and they literally don't have a tasting room it's their picnic table outside but they were grandfathered way way decades ago so uh they kind of got in under the wire but as for myself um, a couple of ways where i was doing production for the um, last six years uh there was a tasting room so when you're a small producer such as i am you have to actually tractor uh the fruit to a production fellow uh facility because obviously there's nothing on site so when you do that and there's a tasting room you're allowed to be part of that tasting room as as uh, one of the uh clients there so i was able to do that for a number of years and um silenus in uh, north napa oh sure 29 that's where i did production for a good number of years
0: um, so when you say, and when you, when you say you would have to tractor fruit there, right. it's not as if you could have a truck come and and take all of the fruit. You actually had to tractor it to Salinas.
1: Well, well let me backtrack. Uh, we used to do production at Ancien. Okay. The road, we would tractor the fruit there because it wasn't worth getting a forklift truck and a, and a flatbed. Right. Bed. When I moved to Silenus, you know, it's several miles away. Uh, if you'd have to have ten tractors, you know, these guys are picking. Right. Yeah. So then we we ended up getting a forklift and the half ton picking bins and Got uh, it. load up a truck. It just wasn't feasible to to uh, drive a tractor individually up there.
0: And. Uh, Just as a sidebar, Jeff and Jane Greasy who I mentioned haven't missed a single episode. Uh, They are very, very happy you discovered your third career. (laughs) Well,
1: thank you. You know, I think the Greasies are, they live in Barrington, which I lived there for a good number of years.
0: They did not, I don't know if they knew that, but you are correct. They do live in Barrington uh, and they have been there they have a beautiful parcel of land and are some of the most gracious people who had us out to dinner a month or so ago but uh, i did not know you lived in barrington i know you lived in the chicago area but i didn't know it was barrington specific
1: i was born and raised in chicago uh but as a older child we moved out to the suburbs and i went to barrington high school and great great place to live
0: wow that's outstanding yeah. um so let me Actually, you know what I'll do? I'll show people where you are uh, because this will help explain. So they get an idea of, can everybody see the uh, Google Earth? Okay, good. Uh, Let's show Sue. This is actually a lot of people's favorite part, although we only have one Google Earth this evening, folks. So pay attention. Put the appetizers down. How about that?
1: Wow, (laughs) that's awesome.
0: So it looks pretty neat from space, doesn't it?
1: It sure does.
0: So now this is uh, the gorgeous home that if by some happenstance you find your way there because you're asking for directions and there might be a charcuterie tray out and a bottle of wine or three open, um, this is Sue's house. And I think it's it's interesting because, you know, this is suburbia, right? It's, I mean, it's horse country to a degree, uh, but you're not that far outside of Napa. You are, uh, <laughs> this is just a regular town road and a beautiful home, two acres and then one acre planted divines. vines. And there's a couple, I, I guess, farmer vineyards in the area. But when, when I pull out, you can see how close you are to Napa.
1: Absolutely, three a little less than three miles um, west of downtown. So, uh,
0: yeah, due maybe, west, or due uh,
1: west, yeah,
0: yep. And it's okay. it's fascinating. Due east, oh well, Napa is due west of you, yeah. Um, but I think it's fascinating. This has always blown me away when when I come see you. Is you're in the city, and then within two miles, you're in the country, and it's like two different, completely worlds. I mean, it's
1: absolutely. Uh, is farmland and vineyards here. Uh, No sidewalks, you know, no city uh, utilities. So um, yeah, it's very cozy, rural. Uh, You know, my daughter mentioned something the other day. I was visiting her in Portland. She said, you know, mom, it's a lot different for you. You have the property to walk around. You don't feel feel quite the impact as you do when you are in a residential neighborhood. And I never thought about that, but uh, there is truth to that. You know, you're, we're not seeing people walk with masks or, you know, we're rural enough. We can walk down the road and walk our pets and, and right. not, not feel the intensity of it. So, yeah.
0: It, it's, um, there's actually a lot of Barrington connections. I think Jim Brubaker has a Barrington connection. Jim's out in Colorado right now, but he's on the line. Hi. And and his son's fiance, I think is from Barrington. So it's amazing at such a, you know, it's not a 90,000 population suburb, but uh, there's a lot of Barrington connections, which is fantastic. Uh, Let me also, for everyone that's just joining us, kind of revisit a couple of important topics, Uh, late breaking news, Cellar uh, Angels, we still have no wardrobe sponsor, so I'm again wearing a blue shirt uh, because it, it looks good on camera. Uh, we have not heard from uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, or Mark Cuban about hosting an event for them. So we're a little bit disappointed in that capacity. Uh, but we are here this evening with Sue McNerney. And for those of you or for those of you that are not drinking Sue's wine, Here's how the people that are drinking Sue's wine in advance have done it. They've navigated over to the Cellar Angels website. They scroll down to the custom they scroll down to the custom collection sip kit. Can you see that Sue? I do. Okay, so this actually is what we are drinking from. It is six bottles of wine for the next six consecutive Friday nights you get all six wines for under $300, and it is, allows you to participate. Sue's Wine was one of the wines that was in this kit for the last five or six weeks. People around the country right now are drinking it because of that. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about this wine, because it is really kind of a special wine for a bunch of different reasons. Brian Marcella in Chicago is indicating that it's special because you signed his bottle. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, the first some time somebody asked me to do that, it was years ago and they were leaving and they said, they read back in and they said, could you sign the bottles? And I'm, I'm like, well, uh, okay. <laughs> I was, yeah, it just kind of threw me off. But
0: yeah, right. That's when you, that's when you know you've arrived. Exactly. exactly. So, um, so tell us about the O6.
1: The O6 was indeed a really special wine, um, partially because it was the very first vintage um, that we made. uh, We had a dear friend who was a winemaker, and he guided us. So that first 2005 wine, that little one and a half ton, we got about 120 cases, I think it it, we kind of fell on our face, we didn't know what we were doing. So in stepped a very good friend who was a winemaker and he guided us. And so 2006 was our very first release. And I, um, it was a very, it was a challenging year as we got into uh, the farming of it. We got a little bit of um, bunch rot, botrytis, uh, not good. Had to cut that out. Uh, The spring was uh, wet. We had intense heat in the summer uh but the, the thing with um Coombs Valley is we have a long hang time, so things can kind of correct themselves if you will, because we get that extended few weeks of hang time, unlike some of the other parts of the Napa Valley, like the floor, because of our little microclimates. So it ended up being a, a a really good year. The berries were very small. I remember thinking they were the size of blueberries. You know, this was, yeah, I was surprised how small they were, uh, but the fruit was very concentrated, and we ended up making a very big cap, uh, big uh, in such that it was very well structured. There were a lot of tannins at the time, um, a lot of fruit. Over the years, the tannins have just softened, and you know we're drinking this wine was bottled in two thousand. Eight. So, um, what is that, 12 years ago? Yep. Yeah, this has been in a bottle 12 years, and it is just amazing. Um, we were so excited with this wine. Um, I sent it in 2010. For my first com- uh, competition, I sent it to New York, International Finger Lakes Wine Competition, which was fairly new at the time. There were 3,500 uh, submissions international around the world and um, 42 wines in all within all categories uh, 42 wines got um, a double gold medal which if you don't I'm, I'm sure you probably can guess every wine uh, taster judge had to give it a gold in order for it to be a double gold if one would have rated it a silver it would have been a gold so somehow we got a double gold 42 were awarded and this little unknown under 200 cases at the time we got this award of double gold for this vintage and so we were
0: we were just how know, excited however first of all you're right i mean the uh, international finger lake wine competition is, is world renowned now and because the finger lake region produces some exceptional wines but it's a Because New York is so international, uh, it's attracting a lot of submissions. So out of 40, out of 3,500, only 42 of them got double gold. And this was your first vintage.
1: Our first vintage. Yep. How
0: How did you get notified of the award?
1: Um, It's through mail. Uh, One day I I get this package and there's this heavy metal in there and I open it up and I said, Bob, you're not going to believe this. You know that competition I entered us in and uh, yeah it was just it was shocking.
0: That uh, had to be just absolutely exhilarating.
1: It, it was and uh, it, it was a little bittersweet. Um, that was uh, the end of January. The uh, Competition was in the later part of the fall of um, 2009. So this was 2010 when we got notified and uh, Bob had just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. So mm. when we got that, I mean, he was just elated. Um, it it was something we never expected, and it and it really um, really warmed his heart that you know we created this this incredible wine by chance with the help of a friend and Mother Nature. So.
0: Yeah, Mother Nature certainly uh, smiled upon you in that capacity, but I think it's just really one of those heartwarming stories where, uh, a, all you wanted to do was grow wine. You you didn't want to bottle it. You didn't want to sell it. So you're kind of forced into that. So, so then because of a glut in the market, no one needed wine. You decide you have to bottle it. You put a couple of the nine-year-olds and eleven-year-olds to work. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> begrudgingly let them earn their keep, which I'm sure is a lesson that they will they appreciate now because they have their children of their own. Uh, and then you submit on a whim uh, the the inaugural vintage to a competition across the country. That's a fledgling competition, and then out of 3,500 entries, 42 of them are recognized with the highest award. Double golden years is one of them. Yep. it's a pretty pretty special story. Uh,
1: yeah, pretty incredible.
0: I, and. So, and so from there, did you realize, okay, well, <laughs> we're pretty good at this winemaking thing.
1: You know, um, it's funny because there is there is a brand, Coombsville brand, and, and it's called Rocket Science. And And, you know, we'll often tease, making wine is not rocket science. But you have to have good fruit. Otherwise, you're gonna have a problem. So I did photography for years, worked with negatives long before digital. If you had a poor negative, it's really hard to make a good print from a poor negative. So same thing uh, relates to wine. If you have good grapes, you can make great wine with very little, you know, interference. Uh, just stay on top of it, of course, and, um, uh, you
0: know. Well, it's, it's, I can appreciate the, the negative and photographic analogy from a standpoint of having developed my own film back in the day when SLR cameras were a thing. Right. And, and you're right, you would take uh, a, an entire roll of 24 pictures trying to get one different shot. And then when you're in the dark room and, and you're playing with the print and the developer and everything, and, yep. and it's not coming out very good. Uh,
1: and you're dodging and burning and trying to get a a good print out of it and
0: yeah no you you have to start with a good negative uh tom randall hello sir thank you for joining and uh so 2007 2008 2009 you you keep plowing ahead you're still only making you know 150 to 200 cases and the, the property is spectacular how did you decide on cabernet
1: uh, you know, when we moved here and we had the soil tested, uh, we knew this was an area for cab. Uh, I'm, both of us were big red wine drinkers and at the time I was really a Pinot Noir. And I said, can't we plant Pinot? You know? And you know, Bob's like, no, you know, I've researched it and this is calf. spells you known for calves. So I said, okay. So, so we went ahead um, by soil test and the microclimates here. Cabernet is by far what grew the best here, so it's kind of a no-brainer.
0: Any do you, do you still have a pension for Pinot, or are you a Cab girl?
1: You know, I've kind of converted. I will drink anything red, anything <laughs> red. It's it's hard to uh, pass on a red wine. Um, yeah, uh, but now I am. Sur- I drink Cabernet almost every night, <laughs> partially because I have a lot of shiners. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've just, it's my palate, it's just adapted to that big fruit, that bold structure. So That's I
0: awesome. just, and, and I think it's great because, you know, your wine is aged for 12 years and, and you're right, a lot of the tannins have softened. Uh, but when you are making a wine and planting in 1999 and 2000, you don't have any idea. That your wine is going to be that age worthy because this still has a lot of power, a lot of finesse, a lot of depth, and uh, and it still has a lot of age potential on it.
1: It does. It does. Um, you know, and every year is different. Martin, um, we had a two thousand seven. It wasn't as big uh, climate wise. It wasn't as big of a year. The wine wasn't as big or structured, mm-hmm. uh, and. I had a, one of the last bottles the other day, and I'm still drinking well, but it's, it's, it's not the big, bold cab. Uh, 2008 was, uh, 2009 was the year of the, you know, we were coming out of the recession, and it was a very different wine. Um, we couldn't afford new French oak barrels, and we had always had 30% new French oak, And then we would buy uh, throughout the valley from different uh, wineries, their one year Bordeaux barrels that they had put one one vintage in. So that particular year, 09, um, part of it was, it wasn't a big year, 08 was, 09 wasn't, we didn't have new French oak. And yet some people loved the 09 even more so, maybe, maybe they're, they're not big on the oak. Um, we try to never over oak. Right. Uh, yeah, my last winemaker said, I'm gonna get you up to 100% new French oak, and I'm going, no, that's not gonna happen. I can't
0: afford eight new barrels every year. So, <laughs> well, I think yeah. it's interesting too, that 07 was heralded by the media as just, you know, one of those vintages of the century and it is, it doesn't have the staining power of the 08 or the 09 or the 6. Uh, which, so it's just fascinating that the, the experts don't always have it right. And you, there's great wine made every single vintage, but it's, the 07 was, was heralded as like the greatest wine of the century or vintage of the century. And it's fascinating to see that some of them have fallen off. Uh, Let me do this because there's a lot of people itching to to start betting their money again uh, because we have a poll question, Sue. And so now you can't answer these uh, until we get to the end. So, uh, and Barb Randall, hello to you as well. I don't want to leave the spouses out because they're the ones that make all the important decisions. So, Sue is a self-professed Francophile. Sue's chosen name of Leishan Sue means... Take a chance. The lucky one, Sue in French, translates to Sue in English. Sue, it, it helps if you don't laugh at the answers that are incorrect.
1: <laughs> Sorry. It's just I use that as a password. See? <laughs> I better change it now.
0: So if you're driving near Sue's house and you need to get on the Wi-Fi, it's <laughs> All right, we've got...
1: CEUX, uh,
0: yep. <laughs> uh, we'll give this 10 more seconds. I need a couple more people to vote. I see uh, Mr. Greasy is usually three for three. Let's see how he's doing this evening. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, it looks like we have some people that did some research this week. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> so, so tell us how uh, it it does mean the lucky one how did the name come about
1: so the name came about uh, first of all we had cabernet planted um and uh, we purchased when we planted uh not knowing we're going to make wine but we we got a premium rootstock we bought a french rootstock Mm -hmm. i'm a bit of a francophile i love all things french uh you know french cheese french tulips you name it i love france Uh, been there twice, spent some time. Um, I love the country, I I love the wines that come out of there, but I was a bit of a Francophile. So when we went to choose a name, McNerney Vineyard, I mean, you know, McNerney is just not a name that uh, you put on a wine label. So it was a Bordeaux varietal. Mom's a bit of a Francophile. And Mom, when my our three daughters were growing up, I was, my mantra was, do you know how lucky you are for this? Do you know how lucky you are to have two sisters? Do you know how lucky you are to live here, live here in the Napa Valley? It, it, it was kind of a family joke, you know, and by the right. time we were teenagers, I'd say, do you know? And they go, mom, we know how lucky we are. Um, so, uh, My girls, our three girls went on the computer when we were brainstorming, what are we gonna call this? And with those elements, the French Woodstock, Mom being the Francophile, Mom always saying Lucky, they were the ones that came up with La Chansou, which is French for the Lucky One. Um, And it fit, it just, Bob says, that's it. You know, uh, we gotta name it that. Uh, That
0: is, and I think there's a couple, great elements of that story one that it was all family that did it uh two i think a very impressive aspect of it is that you instilled in your girls the appreciation and gratitude for how fortunate and lucky they are and and i think sometimes all of us take that for granted that uh you know here we are in a global pandemic and and yet we can come together because of technology because of our mutual admiration and love of wine Uh, it's a pretty lucky thing and, and then to have your girls have the, the innovation and creativity and ingenuity to say, hey, let's hop on the internet and, and see if we can assist mom and come up with this. It's a, another magical story with regards to the, the entire process. So that's it's pretty neat.
1: And I might mention my girls are all older now. The youngest just turned 30 and they really do understand much more so today than 10, 15 years ago, how lucky they are. And
0: Amazing the- how smart mom and dad get as we get older, isn't it? <laughs> right,
1: right, yeah, yeah. So, so-
0: you you branch out uh, a little bit later, you, and, you know, you've got the 2010s, you come out of the recession, you make the, the very shrewd economic decision, I'm not buying eight French barrels every year, That's and right. and then you you decide in, in 2014 to switch winemakers, and you interview first ten have an up, and ri-
1: up and co- are Jay- Cutting out on me.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. You you interviewed a, an up and coming rising star as a winemaker, Jason Moore.
1: I did, yeah. Um, you know, our friends helped us out in the early years, and uh, he was phenomenal. Uh, after Bob passed away, I just hired a consultant. I didn't want to keep, you know, burdening my. F- your friend um, so I hired a consultant for a couple of years and then I met Jason in uh or January of uh 2014 and I was I I don't think Jason uh, I interviewed three different winemakers I thought you know I've gotta I need some more help with this you know I I was afraid gosh what if something goes bad I'm putting all this money into these uh, barrels and storage and winemaking um I, I need to, you know, kind of step up and um, have somebody uh, monitoring things, if you will. And so I met Jason and um, I had interviewed two other winemakers, which were both very good choice. And then I met Jason and I, I'm sure you won't mind my telling this little story of him. Uh, yes, he was very up and com- uh, up and coming winemaker. It's how I got introduced to him. Uh, because he was interested in Coombsville fruit. So a friend of a friend, I was actually doing a tasting over at the Westin and mm-hmm. someone mentioned, oh, you know, there's there's this guy, Jason Moore. He loves Coombsville fruit. You know, he's kind of an up and coming winemaker. And so, okay, you know, so I contacted him and um, we met and um, Jason was so funny. Uh, first of all, he comes... To the meeting in this muscle T-shirt, you know, uh, you know, very workout. I'm, I'm like, who comes to an interview like this? <laughs> you know, I'm the age of his mother, so you know, I was like that. Anyway, that went
0: over. Oh, no, I, I understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm sitting there going, "Oh my God, who is this guy?" So I said, "Well, you know, how did you get into this? Did you go to school or whatever?" And he's Jason's very laid back, he'll call it like it is, uh, which is one of the things I, I really liked about him. He was not a polished winemaker, um, but he was. He knew what he was talking about. He had been making wine for a number of years, but I said, well, how did you get into this? And he said, well, you know, I worked at La Toque when it was back in Rutherford. And he just, he said, I learned uh, about good wine and I was just fascinated by it. And oh God, Jason, forgive me if I'm telling this story wrong. But anyway, um, he said uh, he would study. He, uh, He and his wife lived up in Angwin. He said he would live in his friend's kitchen at night and he would help work at a vineyard. And he said he would study books and the the science of it. He has a very scientific mind. He's very, very mathematical and good at that. And he said he got charged and put in charge of production at a little winery at Valley. I go, well, how did you know what you were doing? He said, he looked right at me and said, I faked it till I got good at it. I said, I love it. I love that humility. And I said, okay, you're my guy. You're my guy. Well, and and it's...
0: It's interesting, and Jason may uh, be upset with us, and for longtime Cellar Angels, you may recognize the name Jason Moore. Jason's own winery is called Modus Operandi, and we have featured Jason three times on at Cellar Angels over the years, I think as early as 2011. And, and the story before he was even at La Toque, I find fascinating, and again, to your point, uh, very humbling to where he is from Fort Worth, so he has a, a big persona, uh, opinion, lifestyle. He doesn't do anything. Uh, it's You're going to know Jason is in the room. He's got a great personality and his wines also are of that ilk as well. But uh, he says, he describes the story as he was having some pillow talk with his wife one morning and he has a passion for wine. He worked at a restaurant, he was doing real estate. And she goes, why don't you pursue the wine? Because you're obviously not very good at real estate. So... <laughs> So, so he moved out to Napa, and the rest is history, and he became your winemaker in 2014. And then what was a couple of the first things he decided to do with you and with the, with the wine and kind of the pathway?
1: You know, the first thing he said is, okay, something um, we have never done before, um, and, and I never could quite connect how it worked with our previous wines. We never did green drops okay ah. uh was something i learned from jason so so why don't you why
0: don't you tell people what green drop is
1: okay so right now uh it's uh beginning of august um we are going through verasion, so i would say we're about 75 percent of the way through verasion is when your um Cabernet grapes go from green to purple and the sugar starts building in the grapes. So what happens is you have all these all these clusters hanging and most of them go through veraison together within a week or so you know they all catch up okay and at some point probably in the next week Everything out there is going to have finished It's going to be that deep, dark Cabernet purple grape. But you will have grapes that haven't caught up that are still basically green bunches. And we never dropped them before, but I learned through Jason, it is common practice to go in and drop the green clusters now with the idea that these purple clusters have already started building their sugar. They're much more advanced than these green clusters over here. These green clusters are never gonna catch up to the the uh, the, the, uh, grapes that have gone through veraison. So you have a window there. You need to cut them off while they're green because if you wait, of course, you're going to integrate them into your wine um, and you may get a vegetative taste uh, if you will because those grapes those green clusters will when you go to harvest in October aren't going to really be quite up to par. Now again we didn't do it in the early years and we made some pretty awesome vintages so I never quite could understand that. I mean, I can taste a grape now close to harvest and the, the seeds need to be brown. If the right. seeds are green, you're going to get that vegetative taste. Um, how it worked out for us in the early years, I'm not
0: quite sure. Um, were, were you... And, and it does make sense scientifically, right? If you've got six clusters on the vine and one of them is green and never going to catch the other ones, all it's doing is stealing nutrient and water and energy from the other clusters. That much makes perfect sense. But when you only have one acre of grapes <laughs> right. and someone says, oh, we're going to start cutting fruit and dropping it on the ground, that had to be a little bit of soul crushing revelation.
1: It was Jason's there in 2014, he comes over with his pruners and he pulls Mommy he starts cutting fruit off I go, what are you doing?" He goes, "I'm dropping the green fruit." I go, "Jason, you're killing me, You're cutting off quarter of my crop." <laughs> First time we had ever done it, but I do understand it now. Um, you know when you make a premium wine, the one thing you want to do is get premium fruit you know just like when we go to production we distem and we put on a shaker table so we take out any of those you know um, imperfect if you will for lack of better word fruit right you want the premium fruit to go in to make the premium wine so yeah that was something i learned well yeah that's
0: a that's a, a, a valuable lesson and and certainly I think it's interesting, too, because Jason also said you needed to expand your portfolio in 14.
1: He did. He did. Um, and
0: what did you decide on doing and how did you make that decision?
1: Well, the first one was rosé wine. We were mm-hmm. at the shaker table uh, harvesting the, the uh, I believe it was the 14 Cabernet, and there were buckets under the shaker table and catching the juice, the free falling juice, you know? Right. He said to me something and it kind of went over my head. And um, he said, do you want to make rosé? And I said, Jason, I can't even sell the wine I have. Why would I make more? (laughs) So so he said, okay. He he picks up the bucket of the free flowing juice and he says, you make rosé or you throw it away. And he goes and he tosses it and I'm like, what? Um, so I thought, that was really odd. So the next year, I said, what did you mean about that? And he says, well, we could make rosé wine out of this free-falling juice, or you know, we could batch some separately and, and make you rosé of Cabernet. I said, I had no idea last year, and when you said that, you meant the to-
0: There can't can't be a lot of, I mean, I I don't even remember what your total rosé production is. Kelly Downs, how are you? Thanks for joining. Uh, So how many cases of rosé do you make?
1: Uh, We started out with 25 and then we went to 50. But uh, this, so then that first year in 2015, Jason says, after I questioned about the rosé and throwing away the buckets, um, he says, okay, you're such a francophile uh he says here's what i think you should do he said you need to pizzia your some grapes for your rosé i go pizzia and he goes you're gonna foot stomp it he says you're a francophile and you don't know what that is
0: literally so- i was just about to ask that question <laughs>
1: right, so we get to production and we had picked a, a certain lot for the rosé the rosé Wine. The bricks don't need to be quite as high as, as you want for a cat, don't necessarily uh, need to be that high in bricks. So we had picked out a lot and um, taken a half-ton bin, and when we got to production, while they were on the stems, I got in, washed my feet in a bucket, rolled my jeans up, and got in and foot stomped crushed, you know, Lucille ball, imagine, you know, hiking. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a video out there somewhere of me doing that. And uh they were ice cold. Let me tell you, grapes, you pick them at at the first sign of dawn and they are cold in October. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I think they red good. from the grapes. They were blue from the cold. But um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and we laughed and he says, you need to do that with the name like La Chanseau, you know, you need to do this French process, just just for fun. And so we did that the, the following few years too that we made um, rosé. So, so with that, Jason said, you know, at the time, you know, before the rosé, he says, you only have a Cabernet Sauvignon, he said, you need to be able to offer people more than just a premium cap. You're, you're small, nobody's gonna find you. You need other varietals. So he talked me into it. So in 15, um, I said, okay, Jason would source his fruit from different parts of the uh, uh, Napa Valley. So he would get um, some really good Sauv Blanc from Rutherford. He says, why don't you go in on it with me and we'll do 50 cases for you and I'll make the rest under my label. And I said, okay, let's do that. So there's a little funny story about that. First year we we're there, Jason was at the same production facility. Sorry, Jason. Uh, okay. it's it's
0: just you and I, Sue. No one will see. Right,
1: right, right delete this part. So we're both at the same production ph- uh, facility and the tasting room manager says to Jason as he sees him, you know, they are doing his client's wine. He says, wow, Sue McNerdy Salt Blanc is kicking ass in the tasting room. <laughs> I laughed so hard because we bottled it together, you know, 50 cases under my label and then the rest
0: was Oh my goodness. I'm I'm a big fan of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to come back and grab some of your Savoie Blanc. Right now I'm going to do our second poll because, uh, so let me do this, that. All right. Uh, Everyone put your glasses down, get your hands on your computers. This is a speed round. Oh, and then an important first break for La Chanson was winning double gold at the Finger Lakes Wine Competition, surprised discovery by Matt Kramer of Wine Spectator on being blown away by her Cabernet, selling thousands of dollars during a children's autism event in Alabama. Now, there's a potential that the judges will throw this question out as a trick question. Uh, And all, there is no inquiries, all sales are final, all answers are final. So we've got five, four, three, two, one. I'm gonna share the results. A little slice of of all of them. Um, And I think an important distinction was how it was worded in the quotations, an important first break. Uh, But all these things happen. Why don't you, uh, you told us the story about the double gold, you know, only 42 entries received this distinction out of 3,500 total entries. But I also was pleased to discover later on, you know, what Matt Kramer said from Wine Spectator, uh, and then also the thrill and exhilaration you had in, in participating in the children's charity. So talk to us a little bit about Wine Spectator. It's uh, for those of you that don't know it, Wine Spectator is a magazine. Uh, it, it's done okay. Uh, we'll probably be around for a while. Uh, but, um, but, but talk to us. And Matt Kramer is a phenomenal writer and a phenomenal uh, palate. So I don't want to take anything away from Matt, but he discovered your wine house.
1: So in 2012, uh, as part of the Coombsville Vintners and Growers, I was a member and we were at one of our uh, quarterly meetings and uh, Lauren Ackerman was uh, on the board at uh, the uh, uh, Jackson Hole Wyoming uh, Mm -hmm. fundraiser for music for children. And she said, you know, um, I'm going to put this out there. If anyone wants to, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. If you would like to be part of this charitable event, you know, let me know because they're only taking like a dozen, a dozen people. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. go. I'll go. I'll go. I signed up. Sign me up. Sign me up. I'll go. I, I had no clue what I was doing. What I was getting involved in. I had no clue, but. I needed to get myself out there, and it was a charitable cause, and anything with children, it's, children are near and dear to my heart, so um, I'm always happy to to give what I can to, to children's um, charities, so I go to Jackson Hall, which I've never been to, and um, it's a three-day event full of very high-end shindigs as matt kramer would say and so the first one is women and wine so there were 12 of us in this beautiful hall and um it was a high-end tasting i mean i had a backdrop looked like i owned you know ten thousand acres behind me with lunch (laughs) that times a hundred um and everybody's buzzing, like, you know, talking about someone. And I I was embarrassed to say, I did not know who, I didn't get Wine Spectator, of course, you know, read the magazines here and there. Uh, But I didn't know who Matt Kramer was, but there was this buzz around, you know, they're talking about this this high end person's gonna be there. And I didn't hear the name, but I'm waiting for the event to um, begin. And I'm there at my table with, I actually had, the 2006 and the 2008 with me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm waiting for it to begin, you know, and I mean, this very high-end uh, fashion, jewelry, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so um, there's an older gentleman, gentleman by the back door just kind of hanging around. And, you know, I'm very chatty and sociable. And I go, hi, you know, I'm Sue McNerney from La on Su. And he looks at me, goes, I know who you are. I know more about you than you, you probably want me to know. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so long story short, he looks at me after we chatted for about 10 minutes. He looks at me and he says, you do know who I am, don't you? And I go, I'm really sorry. I don't. I said, I'm like the bottom rung of a ladder here. And I just don't know names in the wine industry. He goes, well, I'm Matt Kramer with Wine Spectator. And it was a pleasure to meet him. And he became my biggest advocate he's like introduced me as you know there's a small bitner here 200 cases sue mcnerney and you know gets on the microphone he introduces everyone long story short he helped me through that 3 day event sent people to my table, Uh, Kuwar, we went up to Kuwar, the the, uh, tram that goes up to the restaurant, sent everyone there, actually managed my table so I could go get something to eat. And um, it was so funny, the last day of the event, it was a white tent, black tie event. Wow. I, I show up in my cocktail dress and orchestras playing um, black tie and this woman yells from about 10 feet away sue mcnerney matt kramer's looking for you and my head's just turned. You could, you could just almost hear people go who the hell is she <laughs> it was so funny but matt was a big help um he See, said
0: i'm a little bit like you if i'm in a crowded room and i hear the name kramer i'm thinking seinfeld so uh, I don't know, I would never have been thinking Matt, but you were at a wine event, you know, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is just uh, about as idyllic and beautiful place on earth as there is. Oh,
1: he, he was gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. If You could have seen people turn when she said, Matt is looking for, you. It, it was, it was funny. So Matt gave me a signed copy of his book and um, his wife Karen was there, she's lovely. And um, Matt said, Leave me a couple of <laughs> bottles of your O8. Will you? And I said, oh, absolutely. I'll leave them at the concierge where I'm staying. So he picked them up. I go home the next day. And two days later, I get a call from Quince Restaurant in San Francisco. And they said, Sue McNurney, we'd like to get some of your 2008 Cabernet. And I go, oh, well, that's great. I said, would you like me to come to a tasting? And they go, no, Matt Kramer says we need it on our wine list. And that's good enough for us.
0: <laughs>
1: so, wow. ended, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it was fun um, I ended up being on the wine list there for three years did the America's Cup they had an event there and they um, actually used, uh, featured my 2008 wine for that event so there, that was a lot of fun thanks to Matt and he wrote a little article uh, uh, it ain't got a thing if it don't have that zing and it, and it was in reference to my 2008 cab so that, that was very fun
0: well, it's and it's fascinating because over the years, I mean, we owned a retail wine store and we did very similar to what you just described, probably hundreds of different tastings. Uh, and with Cellar Angels, you know, now for 10 years, we, we travel around the country, we do tastings when you could travel and you could be in groups of more than uh, family members. Uh, and you just don't know who's going to be in the audience. You don't know where it's going to lead. You don't know how you're going to meet that next customer. And you have to continually give it your all every single time. And, and I think that's in addition to what you described earlier, as far as people really don't know how difficult and, and lab, labor, laborious this job is growing vines and pruning the vines and doing that. But there's also the sales and marketing side, which, which is extremely difficult uh, and very time consuming. So when you have an audience like that, and granted, there are some events where you're like, yes, sign me up. And those events in Jackson Hole or the Ritz Carlton in Naples and the food and wine auction in Aspen, there's a couple of good ones that you definitely wanna be a part of. But hats off to Laura Ackerman uh, and, and recognizing you and the talents and skills and the quality of the juice that you produce to say, hey, you should do this. And it gets back to, do you know how lucky you are because you paying it forward and having a special place in your heart for children wanted to do everything you could to help out this cause and lo and behold, it led to some really, really great things. So that, that's really a testament to you and everything that you've uh, strived for and, and basically produced. And it warms our heart to be able to share those stories. So thanks for sharing.
1: Thank
0: you. So. Um, you decided because you're that type of person that you wanted to do something special for the Seller Angels audience this evening and I tried to not show it earlier when we looked at the website, so hopefully no one was paying attention, but why don't you talk a little bit about what you wanted to put together for them?
1: Uh, So tonight uh, on Cellar Angels, we have the last last of my 2006 library wine, which uh, we're offering, um, Martin, is that on there? Somewhere, there we go,
0: yes. The 06 is on there. Oh, by the way, Hey, there, oh, that, that, okay, be yes. you. That,
1: that might be it. <laughs> uh,
0: but yes, we have the 06, which is your inaugural wine, the double gold medal winner. Uh, and it's the last of the 06 that's available. And, and it's, as you're, the folks that are drinking it, it's just a special wine. So, but I also want to talk to folks about a, a vertical that you said, let's do this. Okay. So, what wines did you pick, and why did you pick them?
1: So, uh, the uh, vertical is the 2012, 13, and 14. Uh, all a little bit different, uh, but premium, uh, all award-winning wines. Uh, I those are the first sequence that I have. Um, you know, my my wines are. Uh, older vintages because of a life situation and uh, things that happen. Uh, So I do have older wines. Um, Many of the, most of these would be library wines in anyone else's tasting room. Uh, I'm fortunate to have these. Uh, It's awesome to do them in, in a vertical because you can see the variables in the different vintages. Uh, so yeah, we just wanted to come up with a special offering mm-hmm. for cellar angels and their guests and club members, and uh, give you a little bigger taste of the wines that come off this property. It's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon uh, in these bottles, but each each year is a little bit different than the other. So it's it's kind of a fun way to taste and compare share.
0: Do you have, and first of all, thank you, because everything you said resonates with us because we love vertical tastings. Love, 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 because you're right. When you're a small producer, there is vintage variation, which is something to marvel at and something to appreciate. And none of us were the same last year or the year before or the year prior to that. So the wine shouldn't be either. And, right. and, and you don't get any vintage variation in mass-produced wine. So it is really neat to see and taste what Mother Nature has done. But of these, is there one of them that is particular? I mean, also, by the way, all of these wines were uh, made by Jason Moore. So that's also kind of special. Is there any of these that you say uh, that one kind of sings to me personally or that one? Kind of like, uh, I don't want to have you pick your favorite child, but if you were to pick... Uh, at any of these three uh, what 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 would you think
1: oh Martin you know it never fails when I'm out somewhere doing a tasting and I have a couple of different vintages with me people ask that which one's your favorite and to me it's 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 this is what I will tell you this is uh, this is what I tell my three daughters as they've gotten older and they tease about how this one was able to do this, this one, I couldn't do that, but okay. So there was a line in a movie years ago and I equate this to wine. I love you all equally, but it's impossible to love you the same. And I hope (laughs) that goes true with, uh, my different vintages of- So
0: I think, you're, I think your fourth career, you will be running for office because that level of diplomacy is exactly <laughs> what's needed today.
1: Right. And you know, you can't, I, your mind can only say, oh my God, this is the best meal I've ever had or uh, the best wine I've ever had. But when you do that, eat you could have many, many, many wines that you drink and say, "Oh my God, that was so good!" How do you pick a favorite? So I can't, I can't on- honestly answer that. Um, they're all awesome, award-winning. I submit all of our wines go to international competitions just to get that recognition. A um, little too small to put out there to the, uh, to the.
0: Well, let me. It's a, and it's kind of funny. Um, It is an impossible question to answer. And it's there, there are, I mean, and each one is different, right? I mean, the vintages are completely different because mother nature was completely different. And, and, and the irony that I I love about wine is hypothetically, you could say, you know, the, the 13, I, I wasn't terrifically fond of the 13 and then four or five years later, all of a sudden the 13 has developed and, and, and the awkwardness or the angularity is now softened a little bit. And it's, so the wine evolves. And and that I think is one of the neat things because when you go back and revisit things, you're like, Oh, wow, that is actually turning out to be really something special.
1: That's but it does,
0: it does get to uh, our final poll question. And fr- uh, fresh family who was with us this evening says they have enjoyed everything you've produced. Wow. So uh, that is good. So everyone get your, uh, your answer keys ready for the last question of the evening. Okay. One of the most important lessons I've learned over the last 20 years, earthquakes and fires were never part of any SWOT analysis. I'm continually amazed at the kindness of others. Time is precious. Share great wine with great people. Still had about two people left. Well, those okay. she referenced earlier Save the Family Farms because that is an organization that we support and is vital to helping people like Sue be able to have a tasting room as a micro producer so that they don't have to play by the rules of the 50,000 case producers. So, all right, three, two, one. What is what that you've learned over the last 20 years, one of the most important things?
1: I say share. Time is precious. I've learned that the hard way 10 years ago when I lost my husband um, at a young age. And uh, you know what? I don't save the the good wine for put it in cellar. I drink it. I drink it every day because every day is a gift. It's not a given. It's just not so enjoy life, share what you have with others, you know, we all have different gifts, we're all given perhaps different opportunities, um, but share what you can, share what you have, if, if it's kindness, share that, you know, I'm fortunate I have a beautiful property, and, and I can share some of that with uh, charities, and so forth, so just give what you can, and enjoy life, and, and don't take it for granted, because we are all so very lucky,
0: truly. We we are. You're absolutely right. And uh, I don't think anybody can say it better. We are indeed the lucky ones. Uh, And all of us at Seller Angels are very, very lucky to have you share what you've done with us. And we are humbled by it. We are inspired by it. Uh, We can't wait to see you again. And as we say every single week, Uh, Be good to one another, Uh, we are all in this together. This too shall pass, as the saying goes, and one day, hopefully very, very soon, uh, we will be uh, able to hoist a glass together. I definitely wanna try the rosé, the Sav Black is out of this world. Uh, Next week, uh, we are thrilled, as I mentioned earlier, to welcome Kim Vance of Zoetic Wines uh, for week 22. So everyone, enjoy your weekend, Uh, be good to one another. And like Sue said, open up the good stuff.
1: Absolutely. Cheers. Marty. Thanks so
0: much, Sue. Bye. See you soon. Take care.
1: Thank you. Bye
0: bye. Bye bye.